Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello and welcome to Conversations with the Voice of Reason. I'm your host, Benjamin Boyce, and do be aware if you are watching on YouTube, my videos and interviews are also on Rumble, Odyssey, BitChute, and Spotify and Anchor.fm under Benjamin A. Boyce or Conversations. It looks to be the case that YouTube is getting ready to kick me off its platform by going through my older videos and giving me strikes for things that are not even published. And I don't know how that's going to end. But for right now, I can still publish to YouTube. Today's conversants are Corinna Cohen and Denise Cagnon. Denise is the founder of Fourth Wave Now, which has been reporting on the transgender medicalization of children for up to eight years now. And Corinna Cohen is the co-host, along with Nina Paley, of the Heterodorks podcast in this conversation. We talk about trends within the medicalization of children along the lines of affirmation care and the various political tactics from the right and the left to entrench or to stop this sort of care and the problematics of politicizing this medical issue. That's a brief overview of what we talk about, but we do get into quite a bit of weeds. So without further ado, here is Diane and Corinna. There we go. Hello, you two. Hello. Hello, YouTube. (laughs) You guys want to introduce yourselves? I have an... I have an announcement to make. Okay. I've decided I'm non-binary. Oh. That's that's what you can see. It's uh, obvious that I'm non-binary, right? Yeah, bushy brows and a pink wig. Or I mean, sorry, yeah. it's not a wig. That's your authentic self here. It is. Yourself. It's my authentic self. Finally, finally. That is so so brave of you. That yeah. is so so impressive. Stunning, stunning, stunning and brave. Yeah. I I'm a pussy. <laughs> I've heard a lot of people say that on Twitter, Benjamin, and I've told them every single time, I don't think so, but it sounds like this is where you're admitting it. He's claiming his identity, finally. It's National Coming Out Day. I also have five wives and 20 cats. That is so brave of you to admit. So, what so do you beautiful. have to admit, Corinna? What do you have to admit? Anything? Well, I, I'm, I am a, an adult human weirdo. Is is basically I'm, I'm coming out as as just a strange person. Oh, we can bully so, you. Yeah, you know, you know the, uh, the the thing here is though that w- without a joke, uh, it's been about a year since I've described myself as a trans woman. I just. Mm. Just call myself a transsexual. I'm not trying to get anybody to affirm me as a as a woman or in that category. So, I, I guess were you before? I was. You know, I've gone through a, I've gone through a, an evolution of sorts. Where at one point I thought calling myself a trans woman was reasonable because it differentiated myself from uh, 
natal women or biological women. And then I thought a transsexual woman was even more clinical and so that maybe that was a better word. And then I, I just use the word transsexual now because uh, that reflects that I've had some medicalization, but uh, there are some people who will even call me a man and I'm not freaking out about it. Like my very mean co-host, Nina Paley, <laughs> who will remind me sometimes very loudly, you are a man, Corinna, <laughs> which, uh, you know, it's fine. You're not and traumatized. <clears throat> no, I, I do. I do uh, have unexplained crying jags right after recording with her, but who, kn- <laughs> who knows why? That's probably just your uh, trans period kicking yeah, in, right? Clearly, yeah. But, but Corinna, um, you're not a detrans. You, you're not a detransition. You've not detransitioned. I've not detransitioned, but I've stopped identifying as as a part of the trans community it just it's not it's not clear to me where i even have a role among people who identify as the opposite sex because i i don't identify as the opposite sex anymore i've what does I've that stopped mean? doing that so do you care about pronouns do you do you have preferred pro i mean or do you just not care? Or? I have preferred pronouns, but it's shattering to me that nobody uses them. I'd like to be called uh, your highness or your majesty or your lordship is okay. I'm non-binary, but it's, it's just uh, whatever people decide to call me, I, I accept that. And it's mm-hmm. been producing some unusual moments because I play tennis I'm just a learner. I'm, I'm not playing competitively, but in my class, I have just dressed in whatever's comfortable to play in, which is usually just shorts and a t-shirt or top. And I've asked people to use a, a shorter version of my name that's, that's gender neutral. And that results in about two thirds of people calling me she and a couple of people calling me he. And it's a, this weird sort of state of dissonance that I'm in. Hmm. You're queering the tennis court. I don't mean to be. I'm, I am actually working at, at cross purposes to what most of my activism is about. But yeah, just trying to be more natural and not trying to uh, Dylan Mulvaney up the, the environment around me is really uh creating some more confusion than i expected do you have a girl mode and a boy mo- mode or is it just corinna mode all the time no it's it's weirdo mode it's weirdo mode okay. so you know I'm this a- this kind of go ahead no no please this kind of brings up something i was thinking about recently i've seen um I mean, I think we've, I'm sure all three of us have seen uh, a person named Casey, K-C, and I can't remember what the last name is, who went viral. Um, And I I don't know what, if she wants to be called he or she, it doesn't matter. But um, basically she was just saying, okay, this is what happens with testosterone. See my receding hairline, see the hair that I have on my face. It's not going away. I don't think I'm going to detransition, but you know, I'm whatever I'm in. I'm not sure what I'm going to do in the future. 
And I mean, that's just the latest example of it. And of course, people jumped on him, her from both sides. I mean, some of the trans activist stuff was so unbelievably nasty and cruel, which is ironic because well, they want to kick though? people off Twitter for saying anything even yeah. vaguely what they consider to be transphobic. But the bigger topic I kind of wanted to touch on is, and I'm sure you have opinions on this, Corinna, is, is sometimes in certain sectors, there's this, well, detransition now then. Come on, detransition. Mm-hmm. You've, you're in touch oh, yeah. with reality, just detransition. And it's like, okay, I just don't understand that because a lot of people, for a good reason, are fighting against child transition because of the permanent changes, okay? Especially with girls, right? We know T has permanent changes. And, you know, people are fighting, like, let's not do this. Let's, let's slow it down. Okay, then you have a person who is now experiencing and has for years those irreversible changes. And you're supposed to just sort of wave a magic wand and say, yeah, okay, detransition now. I mean, really? I mean, why don't let's walk in that person's shoes. So you want this person to go in women's bathrooms every day and deal with whatever that is. That's just one example of what a person might go through. And I'm just struck by the lack of compassion on all sides. Uh, especially when people go further down the road. Um, I mean, there's a pretty bright line when people decide to have genital surgery. Um, So, and and again, KC is just the latest example I've seen of this kind of intolerance, you know, not everyone can detransition. So there's my little soapbox. (laughs) Richie, who is a detransitioner, he's been on my show several times now this year, has not gone off of estrogen. It's a male to female, back to male, but um, because of the masculinizing properties that would occur going back on testosterone, it would mess up their appearance and their identity even more. Like He says he would basically look like a trans girl or a trans woman hmm. at this point because the going from feminization back to masculinization with the hair growth and hair loss and mm-hmm. all that stuff and I, it's just such a potent cocktail so i think everybody has their own row to hoe and it's not just mm-hmm. a lack of compassion it's a lack of patience and nuance mm. And you, well, you divide this up into kids transitioning, slowing that down, stopping that. You divide that up into where's all the money coming from. The Corinna, we should talk about your pride event story, the whole gender ideology mm-hmm. thing. There's all these different forces, and it's a political playing field, and everybody's trying to get their way. And they're probably all trying to you know do what they think is right uh, for the most part. Are, everybody's motivated by that, but the people who are caught up in this in which this is inscribed into their bodies. I think they deserve, uh, they deserve their own space to, to have their own voices heard and, and, and to make their own choices. I mean, to be fair, I think it's, there's a lot of cognitive dissonance for people. When you see a trans person, however you want to say it, trans identified person who is whatever gender critical. I mean, Mars is another person like that, you know, and, you know, you, Scott Nugent has become a, a big activist. And I think people go, well, oh, my God, you're, but you're still doing it. How can you still be doing it and be critical of it? But, you know, 
life is full of gray areas. I'm sure Corinna has thoughts on this topic. When you have committed so much and have built so many relationships and have established yourself in the world, I, I hate to conflate the terms identity because there's not just your identity groups, but there's everything that you have built up in your life that people associate with you as an individual. When you have done all of that, and you have also been through the medicalization process, it is not possible to snap your fingers and then be in the world as the uh, uh, a unexceptional member of your natal sex. It's just not possible. We, we saw right. that with Casey, and it's going to be the case with Richie, be the case with me as well. I could not just walk into my workplace and tell everybody, um, hey, I'm just one of the guys now. That would create a, a lot of uh, dissonance with people. People would have to, people who have known me for years would have to develop some other form of relationship with me. So it's, it's not just about, um, hey, why aren't you consistent? Why, why don't you act like all the other guys? Or Casey, why don't you just start acting like all the other girls or be in the world just like all the other women are? It's, it's not like that. Hmm. There's, there are very deep treads that we have laid into the world that we can continue to run in. Yeah. Which is, which is just to add, the, those of us who are critical or at least skeptical of child transitions should really understand that because that's exactly what we're saying. Don't make irreversible changes when you're so young that you don't know what the ramifications are. So if a trans person has a dead name, does a detrans person have an undead name? And is that kind of mm. Halloween theme? Because that'd be kind of cool. Mm. From what I understand, there is a very high cringe factor to having your, your trans name brought up. Mm. Because it, for people who detransition, it, I think brings back a, a certain amount of, of shame and embarrassment at having gone through a phase where you had a trans identification. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. Corinna, could you talk to us about the pride event that you went to? Cause it sounded like you oh, yeah. uh, noticed something of a sociological nature there. I live in Indiana and there is a small town, rural town of about 3000 people in about central Indiana is called Spencer and they have become somewhat famous for having an annual pride event in October. In fact, very unusually, the town even has its own LGBTQIA plus community center that operates all year round. So I went to this pride event. They had somewhere around 50 vendors at the show and uh, some of those vendors were local services here in Indiana. So we're having a, a heterodox podcast that gives all the details on this uh, that should be out soon. But there are two services in particular that I'll tell you about. One is called the Indie Youth Group, 
which is a venerable services group in Indianapolis that was uh, created to support young gay and lesbian people back in the 90s. At their table, at their booth at the Spencer Pride, the only thing that they had at all were pronoun things and gender things. They had ALOC's book, they had a book on trans and queer identities, they had all of the pronoun stickers you could get, and all of the volunteers at the booth were they thems. And I went to the booth and uh, I just like to go and ask questions, but I said, hey, if I were a young lesbian or if I were, were a young gay man, and I came to your booth and, and I saw this, I wouldn't see anything at all that says gay or lesbian, I wouldn't see that there would be anything for me here. So what's up with that? And the volunteer said, oh, of course, of course, we support gays and lesbians and, and queer kids. But the thing that they're, the, the young people are really into right now is uh, gender identity. Well, what, you know, that's, that's all you're offering. So maybe that's all you're seeing. But I have heard from two other sources uh, one which is a volunteer for that group and, and one who is a, a parent of a child who has attended that group. And from what I hear, it is just all gender. So I, I have no idea what young lesbians and gays are doing that actually need that sort of support because if they, if they try to go to the indie youth group, it sounds like mostly they're going to be indoctrinated into the gender um, mindset. So there was a second group that was exhibiting at the Spencer Pride, which is a, an Indiana group, which is, it, it's like, I could say it's Indiana mermaids. That's basically what they are. They're called gender nexus. <laughs> and they support adults, but uh, a lot of what they do is help parents raise trans kids, like, like mermaids does. And there, I went and I talked to one of the volunteers who looked like he was a, a nice, presentable young gay man, which uh, I caused immeasurable offense by making that assumption because he's non-binary and, and not a man. But uh, I asked, well, what is Gender Nexus doing to support your clients who desist or detransition? Because this is something that's happening more and more now. And he said, well, all of, the, all of the kids who are in our program want to move forward. And I said, yes, of course, that's what you do before you detransition, is you move forward and you transition. But then after you do that, then you detransition. So how are you supporting them? And, and this became a, a very contentious discussion very quickly. And I pointed out, not to be crass, hopefully on, on this program, but I said, you know, a lot of young gay men are going through this and having their dicks cut off and and this makes them sexually dysfunctional and i would i would think that i'm assuming that you're a, a a gay man and that that would really bother you if that happened to you and, and that's when i learned uh i was of course very mistaken i was i was speaking with a non-binary man of indeterminate sexual orientation but he he did not want to take into consideration that part of what his work is now is taking uh, young gay men and young lesbian women and making them to some degree sexual dis uh, sexually dysfunctional. So it's, it's worth going to these things. I, I think that 
if you are part of the community, if you're gay or lesbian or something, something else in the community, that it is worthwhile to go to these types of events and engage people kindly, not aggressively, not in a mean way, but to just to ask questions which ought to have good answers. Mm -hmm. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Well, the, if you see what's happening online with, take for instance, gays against groomers, I don't know if I can say that, and the LGB alliance, if gays and lesbians wanted to go to a pride event and just focus on lesbianism and homosexuality, male homosexuality, they'd probably get run off. So it's a self-reinforcing loop. It's selecting for people who believe in this and then promoting this and then selecting for people who believe in this and promoting it, promoting it any more. The wheels are going to come off eventually, but it doesn't seem like they have any, uh, there's not going to be any balance. And even if you did try to show up there, you'd probably have to at some point, if your presence and your footprint grows big enough where you say sex, not gender, uh, then you're going to start getting blowback and it's going to be an unpleasant pride event for you. It could. Hopefully it wouldn't escalate to a physical attack. But it, it, it's, it's happened recently. Mm-hmm. Fred so. Sargent. Can we say who Fred Fred Sargent was yeah. uh, one of the original Stonewall people here in the U.S., right? 70-something years old and was physically attacked for wearing a, a, a what did this, his, I think his shirt said, gay, not queer. I don't know if, if there was more than that, but it's re- recorded, yes. Mm-hmm. But, you know, mm-hmm. you, you brought up the gays against groomers, and uh, are you, you guys are aware that there was a demonstration at the American Academy of Pediatrics uh, conference, weekend, or sorry, convention, yes. Yeah. And it's something you said, Corinna, you are a very reasonable person and you're really good at engaging people across all. I mean, at least on Twitter, I see you at least trying to talk to just about anyone. Um, and I know at that event and you're reasonable and calm and you're moderate. Okay. Um, that event was interesting because, you know, there was a, a group of parents and some others, uh, I believe it was called Do Not Harm. They got together to do the, the, the thing. They got up and started speaking and they were just yelled over, right? People sticking the signs in their faces. They eventually went inside and held the event inside with just themselves. I mean, it's good. I'm sure there were some recordings. At least you could hear what they had to say. Um, and then there was gay gr- gays against groomers out in the street directly confronting people. Um, I don't know if you've seen some of the clips. They're pretty amazing. Um, and I know there was some contention about the whole thing. You know, one side was like, we need to be calm. We need to try to engage. We don't want to get into any trouble. Gays against groomers, whatever you think about them, they are definitely street activists. And they're like, no, we're going to get in people's faces and we're going to yell about this. And 
I guess my feeling is there's room. Let a thousand flowers bloom, right? Hmm. You know, I think that street activism has its place and getting in people's face. Is it changing people's minds? I don't know. It certainly gets cameras. Hmm. Um, yeah. Are they are they shaking tambourines and shouting "repent, <laughs> motherfucker, repent, motherfucker, repent"? Although there were people like that there too, I saw yeah. some. You know, the usual people who've been there for what fifty years. Every time gay people come out to demonstrate, you're going to hell and all that. Mm-hmm. Oh, um, yeah. But I mean, they are a different. This is something new. You know, very angry street activists, gay people, and I mean, I have to think it it's a positive thing. Hmm. It's not the well, only way. Yeah. I mean, I, what do you guys think? Well, I would rather that sort of pushback come from that community rather than let's just bring up the good old boogeyman proud boys, right. Or uh, Westboro mm-hmm. Baptist 2.0. Oh, right. Um, so uh, if, if things need to get kind of down and dirty, and uh, shouty and loudy. Uh, it should be from that community who's being uh, eugenically <laughs> diminished by gender ideology. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how many people actually know what I think we probably all know is that especially with early, I mean, this is the data, especially with early onset gender dysphoria, it, it, it's a, there's a lot of pre-gay children who fit that so the you know the the gays against groomers drives around with their van and their posters saying stop sterilizing gay kids you know and that i mean that's a very different angle obviously from the westboro baptist church that thinks all gay people are going to hell you know Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it does seem like there are two sides to this though there is the stop sterilizing gay kids side and then there's the uh, let's continue to sterilize gay kids' <laughs> side. And we know which side has the moral high ground right now. That is the side that is in favor of sterilizing gay kids, of course. Well, yeah, it's not the moral, moral high ground. High ground. <laughs> well, if John Stewart's <laughs> on your side, you know that you have the moral high ground. Come on. Oh, of let's course. Be honest, right? What a disappointment. I mean, that interview, I mean, sorry, that woman from Arkansas was could have done a lot better. She didn't seem to be well-informed at all. And then people are saying, Mm -hmm. yeah, well, that was on purpose, right? He wouldn't have picked somebody who knew their stuff. I guess. I don't know. I'm curious who else he talked to and decided (laughs) not to include into the final program. I'm I'm curious if he's going to actually think through what he's done or if he's so well-insulated in that moral high ground that he doesn't have to give this a second thought. Because it's really easy mm. to discount sides that, um, I mean, the the moral calculus, even if he's experiencing uh, cognitive dissonance, and just trying to think if he realizes what he's contributing to, let's just say 100 extra kids get surgeries because of him that are needless. Um, I don't know how you do that math. If, if he has to think, well, is this all good or all bad? And am I responsible for this? And do I have any path to apologize? Because it doesn't seem like he would Mm. be allowed to do that. He couldn't, he couldn't, he's kind of made his choice. Right. I don't know if he can come back. Progressives, 
right? If you're a good progressive, we, we, I mean, this is so ridiculously polarized, right? Yeah. Which is why I, I mean, another thing is something I have mixed feelings about, you know, we, in the last, how long has it been year or two, we've suddenly got some extremely high profile conservatives, right? Like Matt Walsh, uh, like Chris Rufo, you know, self-described conservatives and some of them religious conservatives getting heavily, heavily, heavily into this. Um, I, I have mixed feelings about it because those of us who don't really fit that category, it's not a question of getting credit. You know, it's not a question of, oh, I was there first. Can you, you know, look at me? You know, I started talking about it first. It's more like it. I don't want it to stay marginalized because it is not a right left issue ultimately, you know, but it's really easy if the only people, you know, who, who have oxygen are the, movement conservatives going yeah we're conservatives and we're against this all the liberals are are on board um it's just frustrating i don't know what the answer is but Mm -hmm. It, it is becoming more polarized and i blame the left for the polarization in this case because there has been a five year runway for people on the left who've who've known about this gender issue coming up to have the ability to know that there's debate and to understand that it's there's no hatred that there are just different points of view on what is helpful for children and what is harmful for children or or if you take the even the broader part but i as far as i'm concerned it's really what we're doing with children which is the the most urgent ethical question and, and legal question, but this this whole five year period that they've had to understand the issue, they have chosen not to have any engagement with people like me, yeah. who have been through the process and have tried to reach out and have hmm. worked to be moderate on the issue. I I am very open to listening to different points of view to steel manning different um, viewpoints, to considering evidence that isn't necessarily strong, but trying to at least say, well, let's take the best case for this evidence and, and see what we have to understand from it if, in case it's replicated, in case there's a, a stronger evidence for this, what are the implications? Nobody that I've been able to find on the left who will even deign to talk to me Hmm. will take the next step and enter into a considerate uh, debate or or discussion about where we ought to be going with this it's just completely stonewalled well you know it's interesting you got that op-ed though was it in the post or was it the new york times i can't remember The, the washington post right so that's a step and i mean you know there's been some other op-eds and articles appearing that we weren't seeing. So, I mean, I guess that's progress, you know, I mean, it's not a direct dialogue, but it's, Hmm. you know, Erica Anderson got something in the post, right? Uh, Edwards Leeper. There's a series. You've seen the Reuters uh, series of articles. I mean, definitely we're seeing some, 
penetration into the mainstream media with it, at least. What's the Reuters articles, uh, their thesis or point of view? So there's three that I've seen so far. One of them talks about the, it's, it's a actually very important article. They got a data from, I forget what it's called. You know, it's, it's hard to get data in the U.S. because we don't have a national health system. So the NHS can say, oh, we've seen this in percentage increase in girls wanting to transition. They looked into insurance data and saw the same kind of uptick we're seeing elsewhere. And of course, most people say it's underreporting because that's only the cases that insurance covered. There's plenty of people paying out of pocket and so forth. So that was a hugely important article they did. Then they did sort of an in-depth article. Um, I think they were interviewing people on both sides of the issue. And then just yesterday, they came out with something uh, basically talking about how the NHS is tightening up its uh, uh, standards and gatekeeping, for lack of a better word, for, for trans kids. So Reuters, I mean... What? Yeah, Corinna, you're shaking your head. Yeah, I, I hadn't even seen that. There, there is so much coming out every single day yeah. now that it's it's yep. easy to miss major things because there's just so much more information every day. So that's positive, right? I mean, in the sense of the information is getting out there more. Hmm. Or the debate, I should say. The debate. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, the um, I, I think part of the reason why it's occurring or it's such a hot, uh, it, it's receiving so much attention is because the previous progressive uh, push or the previous left push was about race. And I think people are just tired of it. I mean, there's it's still going on and stuff. But after 2020 and all that stuff, I think people are just kind of done talking about it. And this was kind of the next thing to go to. You have you have your different uh, civil rights. It would go race. So it would, in America, it would go black people, then women or women, then black people, depending on, on uh, what, what your perspective is. And then you have homosexuality rights. And then there's like a kind of trifecta of uh, race, sex, and this gender stuff or sexuality and then women's rights. Um, That kind of takes the top pivot on what are we going to try to change or refine and the dynamics of the left um, adopting. Well, I mean, it's in, it's in their code of ethics. Now that Zelensky's uh, rules for radicals, they're, they're all a bunch of commies right now. It's just, you, you vilify anybody who's not on board. You you take, it's a, they've adopted techniques of gaining power and they've gained all the power, but they're, they're still addicted to the techniques of gaining power. So they purge themselves. And when I first heard about turfs, it was back when I was breaking the evergreen story. And I was looking at, you know, all this race stuff going on, but there was this weird contention between the radical feminists and the trans rights activists. And I'm like, this is, it was just like the left starting to eat itself and figuring out who's the bully inside of who's the fascist inside of their ranks, you know? So it was kind of like, you guys kind of did it to yourselves, but if you multiply that across the entire spectrum or the, the entire left, um, political spectrum and you add this concept of the trans kid it's such a magical powerful concept especially to empathetic uh, liberal women that trans kid is there's something holy about that there's something christ-like about saving that it's not only liberal women benjamin because there are notable conservative families that are doing to this to their children as well. 
So it's a, across the entire board. They, um, what, what is the name of the, the child in Texas? I'm trying to, Shapley, Kai Shapley. If you, Kai Shapley. Right. The, the backstory for Kai Shapley is that he was a gender nonconforming child and his conservative parents were upset that it seemed inevitable that their son was going to be gay. And they would abuse him to try to get him to stop these behaviors that were effeminate behaviors. This was prior yes. prior to his transition, right? Is it okay? Oh, is it okay if I talked about it? I'd like to you take wanna, this off. I, yeah, yeah, we can, t- you can take. Should we take our stuff yeah. off now and we can, be more we can real? Maybe I'll get, let me get rid of my background too. Now that we're at. <laughs> now I'm gonna have crazy hair, but you got some calyx over there. Yeah, I do. That's the problem, yeah. (laughs) Didn't do much for my hair putting that wig on, I'll tell you. (laughs) My mask is all tangled up here. Here Yeah, no, she did interviews for, I believe, Good Housekeeping. The mom. And and some other magazines basically saying spanking, 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 spanking to try to get this kid to, to like trucks and all this. But her conclusion, and eventually the kid said, Mom, I'm a girl. And to me, I don't know. It's like if I were a child who was punished constantly and was told only girls do that, only girls do that, only girls do that, eventually, I mean, this is a young child we're talking about, young. I would have said, okay, well, I guess I am a girl. Uh, right? And, and then the beating stopped. Right. And now the kid has been on, uh, I can't remember if it's a Netflix series. The kid is now a star and a mm. little child activist in Texas now. Or mm. formerly of Texas. They, they left after the attorney general and the governor there decided that oh, they left. In, okay. investigating families was uh, an appropriate way of dealing with this issue. Okay, well, that's interesting. So I was going to bring up the wire moms spearheading this uh, question, but we can save that for later. But the conservative response isn't always the best response, or at least the legislative conservative mm-hmm. response. So what was happening in Texas? They decided to use that long arm of the law, right? To what? Mm-hmm. There was a... To go after... yeah. A member of the Texas legislature had asked the attorney general to write a an, an opinion or a um, memo on his interpretation as to whether or not transitioning children constituted child abuse. And the attorney general wrote a memo and clarified that, yes, it is a form of child abuse. And the governor took that memo and issued instructions to the various departments under his administration to start taking steps to investigate instances of child abuse, which mm-hmm. in, in Texas meant investigating families that were transitioning their children and mm-hmm. sending state agents to, <laughs> to, to investigate uh, individual citizens, which, which I think is just the, the absolute worst way of trying to do something about this whole issue. Well, okay. Um, 
So we can see, I can see a dystopian future right around the corner where red states call transing kids child abuse and blue states called not transing kids child abuse and they both weaponize the cps it's and what's happening now. it's what's happening it's, right. it's current so california state. are you aware of what california just passed and i think so, it was in reaction right so oh, california okay. has essentially yeah. made itself a sanctuary state for families and or uh, minors runaways i mean to me it yeah. incentivizes running away um for transitioning so you know that's what we have now hey it's ryan reynolds and i'm here with keith co-star of my upcoming film if only in theaters may 17th do you want to tell people the big news all right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I mean, it's, it's, it's analogous to abortion, right? I mean, some states are banning it almost completely mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. some states have declared themselves sanctuary states i mean i don't really want to get into talking about abortion but it's a similar polarization that's happening mm-hmm. and you know yeah. sometimes i think about it and i think well if we're that divided uh you know it, i don't think it's a great thing but on the other hand it, i mean it kind of makes sense given where we are uh, yesterday uh, in Virginia, uh, a Democrat introduced a bill um, that would define not affirming your child as child abuse. Yeah. Did you guys see that? Well, that's what Canada's basically headed toward. Yeah. So, I mean, we've Virginia got a therapy. huge battle going on now on the state level. Yeah. Can I bring up Florida? Because. Oh, yeah. um, so I agree with Corinna. The thing about it is when all the major medical organizations are telling doctors, this is what you're supposed to do. Uh, you know, it's not that the doctors have no responsibility, but it does matter when the, the institutions in the country, the medical and psychological psychiatric institutions are saying, Hey, this is the way to, it's not just them. It's the federal government, the Biden administration. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And our assistant secretary of health is saying, this is what you need to do. Yeah. Um, oh, I lost my train of thought now. Um, Florida. Florida. Uh, so Florida is taking a different approach, and that is they have determined, well, not determined, their angle is uh, they've gone after Medicaid. They basically have said Medicaid doesn't allow experimental treatments. Okay, just it just doesn't. Um, they won't pay for experimental treatments. So DeSantis and his medical uh, team, whatever you want to call I forget what they're called, the health board, have basically said this is experimental. So in Florida, Medicaid isn't allowed to cover it. All hell broke loose. Um, and I think I just saw a couple days ago that a court upheld it. Some, they, somebody sued immediately, but the court upheld. And we'll see where it goes. Now, I'm not sure what I feel about this, but I feel it's a better approach than criminalizing doctors and families um, at the legislative level. Cutting off money rather than persecuting people. I guess so, yeah. And just saying this is an experimental treatment and we're not covering it under Medicaid. It's, it's also 
requiring that the providers demonstrate that there is evidence for the care they're providing. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. So, well, yeah. Okay. You know, so, but at some point, at some point there's going to be a hard line and there might be two sides of this line where to trans a kid is a human right or to not trans the kid is, is child abuse and to trans a kid is child abuse, but that's where we're headed. It's either child abuse or not to surgically and hormonally alter the body of a minor as young as what? 11, nine, 12, 15, wherever eight, that eight, is eight, eight, eight. Yeah, it's eight. happening. You can't say it's not happening. This stuff is happening. Mastectomies are ha mastectomies are happening. Puberty blockers are happening. This is not studied sufficiently. So the you know the evidence hasn't been collected. If you look at how the evidence, if you even look at like the replication crisis, that's a whole other problem we have here. But either it is child abuse or it's not child abuse. And you can probably you could probably separate by the ideology of who thinks which way you have one United States with all these different States making all these different laws and then allowing well, with California, allowing this to happen and with other places saying you can't allow it to happen. So people will just move and do it. And then either there's going to be a big bill, a reparations payout at some point, all these people, all these sterilized people coming, uh, which is the California's, I just learned the other day, they paid out millions of dollars for sterilizing uh, low IQ people or people that they deemed idiots, right? So, you know, for literally sterilizing people who didn't, you know, conform to neuro, I guess, neuro norma, uh, normativity or something like that. So eventually it's going to happen. And I can just see the tug of war that's going to happen because ch child abuse is a like that—that's the basis of civilization. I think is you—you you don't harm kids. I think that's like it's in the Bible for a reason. It's in the very beginning of the Bible for a reason. Like this is like the line where civilization starts or stops. Yeah, but I guess I—I'm not sure we're gonna get a federal. You're talking about it's going to be decided on the federal level. There could be a Supreme Court case that decides things. I guess I don't see that because I've I've watched a lot of the parents of trans kids, right? Mm -hmm. um, they feel just as strongly about this as yeah. we feel about it being not a good idea. And the truth of the matter is a very uncomfortable truth is that there are people like Nicole Maines. Do you guys know who Nicole Maines is? So Nicole Maines was one of Spack's patients, um, uh, a twin. She had a uh, has a twin brother. Um, Nicole Maines is now a movie star and was puberty blocked. Uh, there's, a, there's a YouTube video of Norman Speck with Nicole Maines and family discussing and Nicole Maines says she's extremely happy. If you go, you can find Nicole Maines on Twitter, extremely motivated activist for child transition. Now, I, I just don't know that we're going to resolve this in any way where it's going to come down on one side. Like you said, Benjamin, it's child abuse or it isn't. I just don't think it's going to come out that cleanly. Because there, I, I there's agree. more than one Nicole Maines in this world. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, 
Well, if you're presuming that Nicole Maines is happy, I, I don't know that I would accept I don't that know. into evidence. I don't know. You could have asked me 10 years into my transition if I was happy, and I would have said, uh, ecstatic, this is everything that I ever wanted. And it right. would have been, it would have been uh, the, the clown mask, right? Or, mm -hmm. or the, some, some mask saying, yes, of course, this is perfect. And okay, so now we're getting into the discussion of is anyone happy who transitions? That feels like where you're going with this. I, 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 well, is anyone there are, happy? There well, is there anyone happy to begin with? And then we can go. <laughs> <laughs> Let's start with that. <laughs> you cannot become happy with your transition if your goal is to change sex. If your goal is. Otherwise, if your goal is something else other than changing sex, you can be happy. If, if your goal is that you want to have uh, big bouncy breasts and dress up in uh, skimpy clothing and take photos of yourself and put them online, you could probably be happy doing that. But if your goal is to become a full-fledged, equal, valid uh, seamless member of the opposite sex, you'll never be happy because, so it, wonder, because it's impossible. Yeah. So uh, I wonder about this generation of kids, though, that are transitioning. And I'm, I'm actually not disputing what you're saying. But, you know, if from the time you're, you know, two years old in these parent groups that you see, they're, they're toddlers, right? From the time they're a toddler, it's like, yeah, 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 you're, if you, it was a girl, you're a boy, you're a boy, you're a boy, you're a boy. You sort of go down the track that we know, right? Social transition. And I do believe it creates persistence, mm -hmm. right? And you just keep going and going and going. You may know that you're not literally a man when you get to the end of the medicalization road. But I just, you know, we don't know yet, do we? What, what all these kids are going to think. Obviously, some are going to regret and feel like whatever imposters or I never got to where I really thought I should be. But I don't know to me, don't you think the jury is still kind of out on this? No, I don't. Well, I have, I have a, a different point of view because of just, you know, at, at, at the time I was considered a young transitioner. Now I would be considered a very old transitioning at 18. Right. But right. Um, but, you know, you take some of these kids who are being transitioned at four or five or six. Um, what's going to happen is that these children in every single context that they get into, every, every time that they move into a new school, every time they make new friends, every time uh, they reach a certain milestone, they are going to be reminded of how they are not actually members of the opposite sex. There was a... a detransitioner who posted a video just this week of uh, somebody who transitioned in, in, as a teenager, a male, a male detransitioner. And he was saying, yeah, every time I was asked if, uh, you know, if about my period, I had to say, I, you know, I don't have a period because, because of these reasons. So you're constantly reminded of how you are different Biologically, at, a, at the level of your sex, you're constantly reminded that you are not a, a member of that target sex. That's going to happen whether these are toddlers being transitioned, teenagers, uh, 
this is this is just going to be constant you're you're mm-hmm. never going to be allowed but not even allowed it's just not within reality that your biological sex will stop mattering it's it is so, too fundamental to being a human being so you think is you know the cognitive dissonance of that is going to be on some level is just that is going to create a lot of distress in some form or another. Yeah. Well, I think it'll create distress, but even, even if somebody was able to manage the distress of it, it's still going to be there. It's still something that you always have to navigate. Let's say that Hmm. you, let's say that you have, uh, we keep on this path. It's maybe in California, Marcy Bowers, uh, does a sex change surgery on a 16 year old boy, vaginoplasty. I can tell Mm. you, and this was in that Reuters piece, there's something like a 40% complication rate with vaginoplasty anyway, which, uh, those get, those can be resolved through, uh, revision surgery, something like 25% of vaginoplasties have revision surgery. I apologize. Mm. I don't have the article in front of me, but you can go. Is this acceptable? If boob jobs had only a 40% uh, success rate or yeah, 60% success rate, would they still be flouted as the thing to do or nose jobs or any of these other surgeries? It just seems pretty high. So, Phalloplasty is way higher. And it's at like the crux of your body. I mean, all the other uh, issues aside, I mean, that's the place has got a lot of strain and stress and things going on in there too. So it's a major structural area. It's a literal groin. You mentioned Marcy Bowers. Would this be a a time to talk about? um, Well, Corinna, did you finish your point? Uh, Let me me finish this point really quick. Uh, You, you might be left with a beautiful, stunning looking uh young woman who's 19 years old who if you were to look at this individual undressed would pass all visual inspection as a woman would have the uh, skeletal proportions of of a within female range masculine Mm -hmm. but within female range and this individual will still run into circumstances where his sex is going to be uh, an important dynamic in many relationships because he is a very womanly looking man and that is i'm not making any sort of social commentary about it except for maybe using pronouns, I guess, is maybe social commentary. But that individual is still male. It, mm-hmm. there's, there's only a aesthetic that looks female, but it, there's no function to it. It's, it. It is form without function. And that individual still has to navigate the world being functionally male with having some likeness or form that is female. And whether or not that's distressing, it's still stressful. There's still a, yes. a level of stress. It's going to yes. be constant. Yeah. I'd love to see you um, and Nina get somebody like Nicole Maines on your podcast and talk about these things. 
be, you know, pretty fascinating. I would have a lot of reservation doing that, though, Denise, because mm. the amount of uh, load, that mental load to confront stuff like this, it took mm. me a number of years to be able mm. to address these issues without feeling uh, destroyed by it. In fact, I was I was destroyed by it. I, I have I've rebuilt myself in a way that I can handle talking about it. But uh, to take one of these young people that's been through um, mm. all of these people in their lives who have been lying to them about what is actually possible in the world, who've been telling them the lie over and over, you are a woman, no matter what anybody says about you, you are valid, you are the same as any other woman, because um, we, we know that that's not true. But mm. these these individuals are going to have to yeah. handle the go th going through the process of evaluating every person in their life who contributed to this false person. And they're still going to have to go through that process of of having that little death uh, that the death of their their ego and the death of everything that they've constructed as a woman, and and work towards rebuilding that. And I can't I can't bring somebody on my podcast yeah. and and say, hey, <laughs> this is what we're going to be doing this episode. <laughs> Get some tissues. Yeah. You know. Yeah. No. Uh, excellent. Thank you for that. It makes total sense. With can. You want to? Is this a, well? I just thought this would well. It just would be a segue to bring in Marcy Bowers, um, who's a for people who don't know a pretty well known gender surgeon, um, and did a uh, Duke. Uh, I think it was some kind of a Zoom presentation with other clinicians, mm -hmm. in which uh, Bowers said that all and said all pretty much all, zero yeah. was the term every single uh puberty blocked person that bowers had ever worked with or known was incapable of orgasm and so bowers had some answers to that okay maybe we should block a little bit later the kid never has testosterone they have no sex drive uh you know let's let's tinker around the edges with when we start puberty blocking and then the other thing was, and the kid needs to masturbate. The kid needs to know what masturbation is and what sexual pleasure is. So they know what they're aiming for, I guess, um, after all the treatment. You know, a lot of us have been talking about this for several years. Um, we did an article several years ago exposing a bunch of clinicians on Facebook saying, we don't really know if we're destroying sexual function. We don't know. Does anybody know? And now they're admitting it. Okay. So I don't know if we want to talk about that before I talk about the parent, the affirmative parent group. Should I go on? Continue. Yeah. Yeah. So a week or so ago, um, we got some posts from this affirming parent group. Uh, we've got a mole in there and, and the parents, they happen to be mothers. I didn't see in the unredacted posts any dads. They were all talking about, uh, okay, we've got these puberty block boys. 
uh, let's talk about sex. Let's talk about sex toys. Um, and they talked about their kids, you know, some of them were tweens, some of them were teens that evidently the parents were talking openly with their kids about different kinds of sex toys. And I don't need to get into what the sex toys were, but it was sort of a long discussion they were all having. Um, and then Marjorie Taylor Greene, who we all probably know, a pretty famous congresswoman and quite controversial somehow saw my tweet and um, quote tweeted it and all hell broke loose, of course. Um, and then an article was written in a, in a publication called uh, LGBTQ nation where they talked about this. They talked about the tweet. They talked about my tweet thread. They talked about her. She tagged the FBI, which I'm sorry, that's oh, ridiculous. Wow. Um, you know, um, the, the, but the, some people the, were, the sex toy division of the FBI. Yeah. Right. Okay. And, right. and oh, and in this thread, right? And in this thread, the the parents were talking about. One of them said, "Oh, our vaginoplasty surgeon told us about this." Um, and someone else mentioned Jazz. So Jazz and his parents, her parents, whatever, were on TV talking about the fact that Jazz didn't have an orgasm a couple of years ago, and they were laughing about it. That the parents said, "Oh, it's like a sneeze." Okay. Um, Hmm. So to me, seeing the thread, I mean, the thread is kind of bizarre, but to me, it just follows on from, I mean, what do you think happens if, I mean, Marcy Bowers, she was or is the president of WPATH. Can't remember she's outgoing or incoming, but president of WPATH, right? Talking to other top clinicians in this Duke symposium. Like, do people not think that then other clinicians are going to talk about it and they're not going to talk about it with the family? Mm-hmm. You know, and, but, I mean, and Marcy Bowers is also trans as well. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. But I mean, and, you know, on the one hand, it's internally consistent and logical, right? Okay, we would like these kids to eventually be able to have an orgasm. What are we going to do? Here's our solutions. Of course, when you look at it from the outside, you're kind of going, well, why don't you just stop doing this then? You know, if you're risking someone's entire adult life of sexual pleasure, maybe you shouldn't be transitioning children, or at least don't puberty block them. Could, could I comment on, on that for just Please. a moment, though, Denise? Do you know that you, you, you uh, I'm sure, have experienced this as, as I have. But if we bring up these issues for public discussion, Twitter being the, the default forum of, of discussion, if we bring mm-hmm. these up, what do the trans activists say every time? Why are you so obsessed with children's genitals? With children's genitals. Why are you so obsessed with children having sex? Why, why are you talking about children masturbating? That's creepy. Right, exactly. Well, is it creepy or not? It's, it, it, it would be creepy if you were talking about a particular child masturbating. I think that that would be creepy. If you're saying, if you're saying as a, as a class that humans going through puberty have uh, sexual maturation, and one of the things that people do as they grow towards adulthood is masturbate for sexual relief, and, that, and minors are included in that, that group that are doing it, I don't think that that's creepy. I think that that's just talking oh. about sex education hmm. or, or human sexuality. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the 
must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. So why is it problematic that parents would be discussing uh, this and how to navigate this with their child and in, in a support group atmosphere where let's just uh, assume that they're all looking out for their kids and not wanting to do anything mm-hmm. inappropriate with their kids, but to facilitate mm-hmm. a healthy development and that because of this situation that they are in, whether they put themselves in it or the child put them in it, there needs to be a little extra care taken to this that includes, um, I don't know what kind of molded plastic, but certainly molded plastic, probably battery operated as well. These devices, why would they not just kind of share tips and tricks and like, here's, here's a yeah. thing that works and here's another thing that works. Well, and so the thing is, what people tend to do is jump all over the parents, right? All okay. of the responses are, oh, my God, these creepy parents call FBI, you know, like these are creepy child abusing parents. I don't I, I, I'm agreeing with you. It, it, it's it makes sense given the situation they are in. I mean, to me, mm. the finger and I always try to do this. Ultimately, you to me, the finger needs to be pointed at the clinicians and the institutions that have made this the norm that right that makes the top gender surgeon in the okay. country say yeah well we're going to keep blocking these kids but let, let's teach them to masturbate okay so yeah. there's the there's the munchy parents uh, the munchausen parents right so there, there you, we could discuss the motivations <sighs> that would put parents into this and maybe they're not all uh, good. Maybe there are some parents who are social exercising contagion. their social contagion, but also they're being good citizens by following the science. They're following the experts. So they if that's they the are. case, then the experts, how are they accountable? And what are they accountable to? You eventually get to, and this is kind of a theme I've been going through, you get to WPATH, you get to these standards of care, you get to these professional organizations that in many yeah. cases are releasing documents that are not really sound or, and are really suspect uh, on top of that. Or they're like, I had Julia Mason on the other week who is a pediatrician and she was talking about mm-hmm. the statement that uh, the APA or the American Pediatrics Association released they released this statement that was pro trans kid, but they kind of backed away and they put, kind of put it all on one guy. And it was just kind of this statement. And then James Cantor, who's also a controversial figure when it comes to this mm-hmm. topic, um, he yeah. broke the whole thing down. So you see, you see a lot of problems there and you see a lot of ways that the institutions can completely deny accountability completely. The whole thing is can be chalked up to social contagion, moral panic. But at the end of the day, either a child is abused or not abused. Right. Mm. And who is responsible for that? And who Mm. has to shoulder that responsibility? Who has to shoulder that? If it is trauma, maybe it's not trauma. Maybe they're not being abused. Maybe these special trans sex toys are the path for a certain number of these people toward, or these young people towards uh, sexual health as uh, medically 
transition to adulthood. If you as the parent have already decided, you're already on this path, right? You're already on the path. This is the right thing. If you don't do it, your kid's going to, you know, the live son, dead daughter thing. You're already on the path and the professionals are now saying to you, hey, hey, we really do think there may be a problem with adult sexual function. Here's some of the things you can do. Again, look, I have some problems with what some of these parents say, but at the same time, who wouldn't want their child to have normal adult sexual function? I mean, Uh, I'm not saying they're doing it the right way. I'm just saying I can understand within this bubble that they are in and they egg each other on in these groups. Anybody who has a, has, so in the, in the, and let me just say this last thing. I know you guys want to talk when people have doubts in these groups, they'll go, well, you know, I don't know. You know, so with the Packers, the pediatric Packers, the fake penises, they get into it with that. They're like, oh, well, you know, my kid is 12. Is that too young? Then they all jump in and they're like, oh no, I got one when my kid was eight. Don't sexualize it. It's not sexual. It's like a prosthesis. A sexual you know? prosthesis. <laughs> no, they say it. They no, it's not sexual. In fact, they it's a, it's literally a sex organ. I mean, how is that? I'm sorry. I hope I don't sound like I'm defending them too much. I just get their their no, logic. I, yeah, no, I want I want the I want the bubble that they're yeah, in. I want that, Corinna. What was right, you what guys. are your thoughts? There's a lot. The parents. This is my this is my impression. The parents who are discussing or they're because these are these are boys we're talking about. We're not talking about the girls. That's the, that's a, a whole set of other issues. Yeah. But we're talking about the boys who have who've had uh, puberty blocked um, childhoods. The parents who are saying, how can we ensure that um, our daughters, their sons, are able to have some form of sexual function after they have their dicks cut off. Sorry for for such strong language, but as a recipient of vaginoplasty, uh, this is the language of of my people. All right. Um, These parents, in in my opinion, they are going through a bargaining stage of grief. Mm. They, Mm. They are in denial. That, that they are causing this harm to their child because because they know uh, they have heard people call this mutila- mutilation. I'm sure these parents have had frank discussions with each other asking, are we doing the right thing? And that they are full of doubt that they have uh, come to believe that their only option is to uh, cause this uh, sexual dysfunction in their child or else their child will kill themselves. They have, they have probably uh, reached that, that dichotomy and believe that it is a true dichotomy and not a false dichotomy. And, and when they are talking in public, dilemma, false dilemma, excuse me. Um, when, they have, when they're talking about this in public, how can we, what are the last things that we can do to save the sexual function of our children? This to me is them processing their grief as denial and bargaining it's it's nothing mm. else in, in my it, opinion just to extend mm. th- it could be the case i don't know all the situations of these parents in these parents groups but it could be the case that this is pre-vaginoplasty and so just on blocking oh, testosterone is. they are on oh, a yeah. child without testosterone a boy without testosterone the 
the balls literally don't drop in, in a certain respect. Metaphorically, don't drop. They do yeah, drop, they, but they, they there, there's mature. no growth. There's no sensation. Right. There's no orgasm. And subsequently, there's not enough to work with, so to speak, to invert that body part into the thing. So, well, how? For, 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 forget all of that. Forget all of that, Benjamin. I. Yeah, this this is like a um, the wrong thing to focus on. Okay, is, we're getting in the weeds. Is, is that what you're saying? No, it's not. We're getting into the weeds, but the the depth of va- the vaginal canal after vaginoplasty is is not going to uh, be the the main factor as to whether or not somebody who's had vaginoplasty is going to be able to orgasm. They're, they are two completely separate issues. Okay, uh, there there are ways of constructing depth that are, are more invasive and damaging, um, that, that there are things they can do to solve the depth, depth problem besides having a penis growth in, in puberty. But for being able to have a sensate um, orgasmic feelings, to be able to even develop that part, that is, that is the, the main thing. And if they don't have the uh, testosterone, if they're not going through puberty at all, if they're not having any uh, excitement of that part of the, the nerve bundles, they're just not going to have anything that's, that's like orgasm. Mm-hmm. And to, sorry, sorry for uh, hopefully YouTube standards won't get too mad at me for saying this. You, you can stop me if, 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 uh, well, if it seems one like One wonders if, okay, so I guess this is another medical uh, frontier then. How do we induce an orgasm in a uh, sterile child or a boy? Like, is there like, do we shoot him with, is it like a sneeze and then you just jab, you, you have a sneeze and then you jab dopamine in, into your neck at the same moment? Like, or there's electrodes in the brain. I mean, it's not going to come down to a toy. It's going to come down to an entire cocktail of uh, drugs so and... To speak. Uh, yeah, and, uh, uh, and neurostimulants <laughs> um, to 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 uh, synthesize the orgasm. I see that's the future. It's to synthesize the orgasm. That's that's more. Well, bargaining. isn't it, it? Isn't it interesting that Bowers in that Duke? I mean, I didn't watch the entire thing, but the part I, I saw, yeah. you don't you don't hear Bowers saying, "Oh, and with some of my patients, we've asked gotten gotten them to do this, and they're fine." You can hear that. It's like, we're not, we're not, I'm not seeing any orgasms. Let's do this. So does it work or not? I don't know. Bowers did say something like the stimulus is still there. I, I mean, the sense I had from it is if you get them to do it, and that's what these parents are, are kind of saying, let's get them to do it, that they're just the pure stimulation of those nerves is going to make it work. Hmm. <clears throat> I mean, it's just so weird to even be having these conversations. <laughs> you think? I, I, yeah. I want to go philosophical, but we don't have to. I'm just wondering if this was preceded by us forgetting what sex is for, right? What sex hmm. is for. for? For not having a telos at all for sex. Sex is purely hmm. hedonic pleasure. It has nothing to do with pair bonding. It has nothing to do with chi- uh, creating children. Those two things are right. off the board because those are moral impositions. The only thing sex is, is hedonic pleasure. And in, if, you, if you strip sex down to that, then it 
makes sense that you could just re replace it. You can replace all the parts and you get your hedonic pleasure somewhere else, or you synthesize the hedonic pleasure. Cause there's no purpose. There's no purpose to being a man. There's no purpose to being a woman. And then the question would be, what is the meaning of life for a, a large part of a society to not have that, to not have childbearing, child rearing, and this is a whole, this is a whole uh, can of worms, but how, how long can a society stabilize without the concepts of pair bonding and creating a family? And if, if I, one wonders if we got to this place because we put those things as sacred and now we're, we're losing our st stability because we've lost the plot on that. That's just kind of some thoughts that I have on that. Mm. But that's kind of well, you know, when I first discovered the sterilization angle, which was pretty early on, um, you know, that puberty blockers followed directly by cross-sex hormones does tend to sterilize and the top gender clinicians admit it they talk about it i thought okay that's it we're done you don't sterilize children you just don't sterilize children it's a human rights violation let's get this out to the public and everybody will scream and say you can't do this anymore but what i've noticed is people that's not how they respond a lot of people they're like what's oh there's too many kids in the world anyway you know and oh these kids are kind of advanced they're going to adopt if they want to have kids it's just it's just shoved off you know, like it's of no importance. Kind of just speaking to your point, what have we lost? I mean, everybody shouldn't have children. It's not that everybody wants, needs to have children, but to, to act like it's no big deal to, to destroy the possibility of having children in children. Yes. And, and, and whether you want to have children or not tends to be something that you really zero in on when you are more mature it's that's no, right most children it's it's very unusual if a child wants to have children most children want to grow up and then you start tackling that as a possibility uh, not all child not all children not all girls get have the uh, option mm -hmm. of reaching adulthood obviously mm -hmm. but it's really only once you mature that you have a realistic outlook on on whether or not uh, being a parent is the right choice for you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But if you're being transitioned, um, you're you're not that that choice is taken away from you. Well, and and you're not going to care when you're younger. I mean, you ask an 11 year old who has been told, "Yeah, we're going to turn you into a boy," or the opposite, either way. You know, it might mean that you can't have children. So, right. I mean, one of the more interesting things I ever saw, and I wrote it up on, on the site, is Diane Aronsaft did a Zoom session talking about this very issue. And she said, quite openly, they are too young to understand. And in fact, you are burdening them if you try essentially too hard to get them to understand, but we're still going to do the transition because it's necessary. Hmm. Wow. I have such a hard time understanding how someone can think like that, let alone pontificate about it. Did you, did you see that? Did you guys see that uh, video that um, Julia Mason uh, recorded at the, uh, 
American Pediatrics Association um, event in Anaheim. Oh. The actual event, not the not the protest outside, but the actual event. There was a a speaker, a female speaker, who was talking about um, a trans uh, underage, a sixteen year old trans uh, male to female trans identified individual, Leela Alcorn, boldly placing themselves in front of a train boldly yep. standing oh, and boldly yes, standing in front of a train yep. like this i mean just martyr just like, martyr it's so religious it's just like the deification of death the deification of anti-life you're being antinatal in effect and then you're worshiping suicide you're using suicide as a threat so at once you're using death and the fear of death to motivate a lot of this stuff and then you're and then you're switching it over into into some sort of righteous cause by death it's it's moloch it's just so moloch molochian it's just so do you do you mind because I, i've heard that a couple of times benjamin uh, the reference to Moloch, but mm. I, I assumed it's some demon worship of some sort, but I, I don't know very much of the detail. Do you? Oh, I would have to. I would, it's an Old Testament reference to, uh, in the Hebraic Bible, there was one township or what do they have, villages or uh, tribes? Uh, there was one tribe in uh, that, that wasn't the Israelites, that the Israelites came across at some point. And they were worshiping this god called Moloch. It was this big statue of, uh, I believe, a bull or a cow that mm. the the people would place these babies' bodies into in order to uh, re-enliven the... Um, uh, you know the, the fertility or, or to bless the tribe or to get protection um so it's just an ancient biblical reference to child sacrifice um and it seems to be the case that that there's something about that that again is uh it's overlooked but it's profoundly deeply psychological archetypal um, motivation it's just a motivation in in the darkness of our imagination and it and just i wonder like did we give up something to get to here? What did we lose along the way to get to here? What you were saying, Denise, about you know people being so flippant about the sterilization of kids, right? And I understand, I think I've spoken with either of you or other people about not using the term mutilation, because that's too hard. But even sterilization mm -hmm. is a really hard term, but that's kind of laughed off, or, or it's mm -hmm. overlooked, because who really cares? I don't know. So I, I want to make a comment about a uh, WPATH eight. And, okay, so uh, could tell, tell us what WPATH eight yeah. is. Just sure. Sorry. Uh, so the WPATH is the we referenced it earlier, but it's the World Professional Association for Transgender Health. They release treatment and care guidelines, and they've released their eighth version of that, which uh, in conversation is often called SOC eight, S O C eight. And there's a, a section in here where they have a number of statements that are uh, concerned the treatment of adolescents. And one of the statements is related to the, um, the clinician's responsibilities for being able to assess and understand an adolescent's emotional and cognitive maturity uh, to be able to consent to treatment. This is, if you're curious about it, this is statement 6.12.c. And they talk about that in order for the clinician to assess 
informed consent that there, uh, if, if you don't mind, I'll, I'll read a, a paragraph here. A necessary step in the informed consent assent process for considering gender affirming medical care is a careful discussion with qualified HCPs trained to assess the emotional and cognitive maturity of adolescents, the reversible and irreversible effects of the treatment, as well as fertility preservation options when applicable, and all potential risks and benefits of the intervention are important components of this discussion. These discussions are required when obtaining informed consent assent. Assessment of cognitive and emotional maturity is important because it helps the care team understand the adolescent's uh, capability to be informed. Um, so I'll, I'll, I'll just stop there, but I, I wanna raise a point that we're, when we're talking about eight-year-olds, eight-year-olds cannot reach the point of having those sorts of discussions. Probably 10-year-olds cannot reach the point of having those discussions. Probably 12-year-olds cannot really understand the benefits and, and uh, disadvantages of these treatments. And you can probably keep ratcheting that age up just by adding a few more um, extra uh, like provisos. Does it, how how uh, socially mature is this person? What is their, what is their uh, cognitive processing level at? And if they have any sort of uh, cognitive delays or problems, that age needs to be 14 or 15 or 16 or even 18. And even though it seems clear to us that adolescents just cannot form the picture of themselves as adults to be able to understand the repercussions of these treatments. And even though it is clear in the standards of care that in order to provide informed consent, that the clinicians themselves need to have these discussions and, and have confidence that these patients have, have this capability, we, we know that in general, and, and it is widely the case that adolescents cannot imagine the consequences of these treatments. And we know mm -hmm. this because every single week now, there's a new detransitioner who, who sometimes they start in their later teens who will tell us mm -hmm. that the doctors didn't inform me or I didn't understand it or I misunderstood it, or I didn't care at the time because I or couldn't imagine. Or I was imagine. depressed, or I was autistic, or... Yes, all of these things. So we, we yeah. know from, from WPATH that informed consent is required to provide these treatments. And then we also know, just from what we know about adolescent psychology, that these kids cannot really hmm. uh, constructively give consent to these treatments you, you, can can i add um more uh grist to your mill please this is on the website uh, dying with dignity canada i'm going to read a paragraph oh goodness uh, gracious Dying with Dignity Canada acknowledges that Canadian society will likely expect a minimum age for mature minors in the legislation. 
uh, for assisted suicide, even though the emphasis at common law is on capacity and maturity and not chronological age. For this reason, Dying with Death Canada asked that Parliament amend the existing age requirements of 18 years of age to extend it to persons at least 12 years of age and capable of making decisions with respect to their death. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very, very wise has uh, covered this the other day. Somebody had to write that. So they didn't have to write that. Somebody, that. somebody did write that. And there, there is a human hand that composed that. No, it was, it was a committee, I'm sure. That is. It's a lobbying group. It, it is hard to find a word, a descriptor for that, other than the word evil. I, I just don't know. So I don't know we, what else. How did we get here? I mean, back to this big philosophical question. Mm-hmm. I mean, and we probably can't answer it, but I mean, that we can talk about the different elements that like the, the led yeah. to this. But it... It just kind of blows my mind because I had this for my uh, master's degree. I studied a lot of developmental psychology and a lot of neuroscience and and that kind of thing. And it's like, this has been a well-known fact. Well, even recently they've upped the age for maturity for a long time. It was like, Oh yep, you're 18 and you're an adult. Well, actually it turns out with all the brain studies and so forth, you don't have all of your executive function until you're about 25 years old. We know this. It's replicated. We know it's, I mean, it's objective evidence, MRIs, everything. And then in the same time period, though, we're saying that adolescents can do all these things. I, I really don't understand how we got here. Hmm. Do you? I don't know. I mean, every answer that I can think of is just very simplistic. Um, but I, human well, uh, hubris, I mean, it's probably ancient, you know, it's just uh, mankind's will over nature, right? Or the loss of some sort. I don't want to bring up religious language. So I'm just going to say the loss of a connection with reality in some way, shape or form. I, I just got an eight week year old kitten. I brought him home. I have a two year old mm-hmm. kitten, a cat. Right. And the first time they met, I was like, Bodie, the older cat is going to, he eats everything this size. (laughs) He eats gophers and marmots and all these things. How is he not going to eat the cat? And as soon as he saw the cat, they started a power dynamic. He, He knew right away that this is not, this is, this is my kind. And they're going to get in tussles and stuff and they're going to take a while to get along and stuff. But he knew right away that this is not something that he's going to kill. So somehow we have lost that. Somehow that, that's a part of nature. Somehow that's a part of, of reality to not kill kids. Okay, but how do we get from scientists? Just one, one little, I will uh, get this kid fixed. So I'm going to mess with his sexual function, just to be completely clear. Mm-hmm. So make it that what you will. But. Well, uh, that's that's because it's an animal and and not a, a human. You, you know, uh, th- this reminds me briefly of an anecdote somebody uh, on Twitter a couple of weeks ago um, said of detransitioners. Well, why do you have to take hormones at all? Because we have we have our pets fixed, and we don't put them on <laughs> hormones. 
And I said, yeah, that's, that's because we have our pets fixed because it serves us as human beings to, to do so. And we don't have, like, it's more convenient for us to do this to our animals. Uh, and we treat humans differently than we treat animals. That's, that's why. Hmm. And uh, to, to his credit, he was like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. But it's, it's so funny that that just wasn't intuitive. Right. You know, to ask again sort of the same question, particularly in the field of psychology, because mm. these things are simultaneous. The understanding that uh, the frontal lobes aren't fully developed until later than we thought. This isn't like, oh, people thought that 50 years ago, but now this is simultaneous, this understanding about brain development. And at the very same time, all these psychologists are going, well, they know, they know, they know, the kids know, uh, you know, and even to the point, you know, that you brought in to commit suicide. It's like, I, how can these two things exist at the same time in the field of psychology? What happened to these gender therapists? Like, what happened to them? Well, where did they come from? I, I still haven't found that answer. They just kind of appeared over Where they came from? No, the gender yeah. therapy just, like, kind of sprung up. Another planet. Another planet. The, the, the institutions have, have this, lost their we? ethics. It's, it's insulated. Uh, you, you'd have, we'd have to go into talks of constitutional monarchy and the role of... <laughs> Uh, the, the the effect of religion on institutions and can a re, and can an institution function without a religion and what kind of religion is functioning within our institutions i don't think an institution can function without a religion which means just a uh, codification of moral belief and the institution itself is selecting for and reinforcing people who adhere to this uh, these forms of belief so the institution will manipulate data and will manipulate standards of care in order to affect its morality. The morality is leading the charge and it always has been leading. So somehow the morality changed to, to allow this to happen. Well, and that kids are wise, even toddlers are wise. Even I think your clump of cells in your womb knows this gender. I think there was somebody seriously saying that that a child before it's born knows its gender. Yeah, I saw that, but it's tempting to uh, ignore things like that because I I just don't want to credit that anybody means that seriously. Hmm. But somebody's taking well, where'd them they get the idea? Where'd they wow. get the idea? As, as somebody, I mean, it is right that. So, so kind of to, to kind of turn the arc of our conversation from diagnosing a problem, discussing a problem, kind of trying to diagnose it. I don't think we can. I think that is just a huge project to try to really diagnose it. But there are just tactics and strategies. And I see that both of you have um, a moral compass when it comes to dealing with this stuff, right? Because you're both engaged in this conversation and you both can make moral claims on how blue states going about doing things and red states going about doing things and how online activists, which all of us are for better or worse, or, you know, God uh, save our souls uh, are doing. Mm -hmm. How can we approach this? What are we doing? Um, What kind of gains have you guys made? Um, How do you want to affect the discourse? 
do you want more uh, Marley Marjorie Taylor Green retweets, or would you want AOC to retweet you? Is that what you're you really want AOC, Denise? Right? You mean when hell freezes over? When hell (laughs) freezes over? Yeah. (laughs) I would like serious people to take me seriously. And, and and having the attention of unserious people is is of no value. In fact, it's it is painful if unserious people pick up on the things that I'm saying. Who's a serious person? Joe Biden? A powerful person? I, what do you mean a serious person? I, I think when when Joe Biden was younger, he was uh, moderately serious. But I th- I think anybody who has some background in policy who has had to successfully negotiate to get policy passed, has understood uh, through trial and error what works and what doesn't, somebody who has uh, some sort of background in, in history <laughs> and politics, um, and is, is well-rounded, and, and somebody who's more of a statesman. Hmm. And, and I think that there are politicians in both parties who would meet those sorts of qualifications. Um, less likely to find those people in the house presently because it's uh, a a popularity contest to get into the house at this point. Mm -hmm. But I do believe that they are in the house, uh, likely in the Senate as well. They're out there, but right now this is such a culture war item that the people who are, who are less interested in the solutions and, and origins of the the causes and problems aren't invested in it. And I personally would not want Marjorie Taylor Greene to be my advocate on this issue in the House. You want a executive branch? You want Ron DeSantis or a, a Gavin Newsom? I I think that somebody in the executive branch actually has is in a better position to uh, be required to represent their constituents on this issue. So I, I think that wouldn't be the worst thing. But even my, uh, the, the Democrat who represents my district is um, uh, Andre Carson. And he's a, a quiet member of Congress. Nobody really knows who he is because he's not making the news every week saying stupid things. Mm-hmm. But he's been in there for 10 years or so doing the work and contributing to the party. I would love to have some of his attention. But not 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 these um, partisans hmm. who are out there trying to chip off uh, public attention and and drive up the level of partisanship. Mm-hmm. So are you going go to go? Go ahead. Sorry, briefly. Are you going to go to the your local governor's mansion, or are you going to go to your local legislator rather than the pride event and kind of walk up there and? Set yeah, a brief who, on their table. Who, who says I haven't been trying? Hmm. I, I just uh, these sorts of moves are not um, the best thing to to publicize a lot. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sorry to interrupt you, Denise. What were you going to say? No, it's okay. It's a lot to think about. I think I might have mentioned in our other interview that uh, the Peak Resilience Project, which had a brief life, that they did go to Washington. And they did talk to only Democratic politicians because most of the Republicans already 
agree with the basic position and they had a lot of success um i think that kind of thing can have value you know but i don't you know fighting this the whole partisan thing you know that corinna refers to i don't know i'm wondering what's going to happen if the republicans take the congress i mean i predict that they will have wall-to-wall hearings about this issue because it is the hot issue right now they'll Mm. bring in all the clinicians they'll hammer people like uh rand paul has done repeatedly to rachel levine and i want i just wonder what will be the ultimate outcome will it be oh those horrible republicans look at that they hate trans kids or will if the gop takes the congress will it be a chastening event will some democrats go you know maybe we have gone too far on this you know I, I I don't know when the yeah. detransitioners get more and more attention. And and I, as I said, without exaggeration, I'm seeing a, a one or two new detransitioners or, or every regretters every, every week, at least. Uh, but it's it's hap- it's it's increasing. And, and we yep. already know we already knew that it was going to be increasing. We already knew that this trend was going to happen. It's it's happening. Um, those are the people who are going to have the message. Absolutely. Um, they're, they're not Republicans. They're not Democrats. They're people who are damaged by the process yeah. of gender affirming care. And they are ready to explain what happened to them and how to stop other kids from being hurt by it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they have standing in a way that no one else does. That's right. I think the my method or my hope is that um, just to expand the outcomes or expand the consciousness of the consequences so that young people can think a little bit more. Parents can think a little bit more about this. And it is, you're right. It is a cultural issue. And I try not to engage with that so much. I'm trying to engage with that less and less because it has downstream effects for what I, my goal, but trying to just put, stories in the path of people so that they can just kind of think things through, think things through Mm -hmm. and pray to God or just like hope that thinking about this rationally or relaxedly is going to feel good more than being in a panic about it and kind of making all these uh, decisions and then ending up on a Facebook group talking about how you're trying to give your kid an orgasm or whatever, you know, Uh, like you were saying, like ending up in this spiral of grief, regret, bargaining and stuff like that. If we can slow down and just tell these stories, I know it's really inconvenient for um, the so-called trans community to have these stories out there, but I think that they're necessary and ultimately is good for the so-called trans community. Um, I mean, maybe they'll lose some Instagram status or influencer status, but they can adapt. They can adapt. They can be doing their popularity contest without the outcomes that it's having at this point. And I wonder how long the U.S. can hold out when so many other countries are starting to slow things down. I mean, Mm. I'm surprised there hasn't been more of an effect, frankly, already. Well, yeah, I, 
the United States government is such a huge juggernaut that what we're seeing now is probably the effect of 20, 15 years of of things happening behind the scenes, right? And we've traced mm. we've traced trans rights through the gay rights movement and just how the institution needed a new cause, so it just kind of fit right in there. And I, I've spoken with people in the deep state, so called, who are totally on board with the trans kid thing. Not really, th- they're insulated and they're they're mm-hmm. reinforced. They're they see they really do see fascists when they see parents at school board meetings. They really see fascists. They really see fascists when they see Trump supporters. They really see fascism when they see people that don't like the State Department and don't think that they have uh, America's uh, normal population in their own best interests. It's two worlds. We're living in two worlds. And It's the problem with the echo chambers. Everybody's living in their little echo chamber. And right. it's massive. I, I I'm saying it's massive. It's this echo chamber is not just a social media yeah. phenomenon. It's the entire civil service of the United States government is caught in an echo chamber with and they've erected pylons to thieve people out who don't agree with them with the DEI, SEL, CRT, mm-hmm. uh, gender ideology. All this stuff is there to sieve out people who don't get on board and can't be a good little toady for the bureaucracy. So. I really don't think that it's a small issue. I think it's a huge issue. And it might be the case that feedback from the populace reaches them and they slow their role, so to speak. It has to happen, especially. And I think that you're right that the detransitioners are going to provide just unignorable evidence of the outcome of this stuff. And that some people are going to have to be tempered who do have power and do have policy. And yeah, there's going to be political games, um, but you know, with people gaining status by riding the opposite wave and stuff. But ultimately it's the statesmanship, but I don't even know if that exists anymore. I don't know if we have true statesmen. Maybe that's a, like a Scotsman. There's no such thing as a true one. I hope we do. Well, I think the mid, the midterms are going to be very instructive. I think. Well, we'll see if they have a Rovember or a, uh, well, mm-hmm. uh, I don't know the other pun. So, Denise, fourth wave now. Plug your work. Do you have a podcast yet, or this is just your second one? Have you yet. gone? Have, yet. You, have you have you cheated on me? Or are you still staying true to the Benjamin no. voice only? Yeah. Show so far on my channel. Okay. So far. So you run fourth no, no, wave no, now, which is not true. I went on block. gender wider lens. If oh, you're talking about. Uh, I went on gender wider lens. I'll share you with them. You didn't watch. Oh my God. (laughs) Sorry. I Um, create too much content. Yeah, it's okay. (laughs) (laughs) Um, What was the question? (laughs) Plug your work, plug your, uh, your website, your eight years. So the the website, as most people know, there hasn't been as much action on there recently. I I, I joke that I, I trick myself into writing articles on, on Twitter. I just write them in, however many characters we have now what is it used to be 140 is that i just write 240 characters and all of a sudden i have an article yeah so i mean that's where mostly stuff is happening right now um despite ambitions to the contrary mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. now mm-hmm. but you're so. covering you're covering what are you covering and how are you covering it i want to put it in your own mm-hmm. words well, I mean, some of it is current events, kind of what's what's happening. I mean, I also feel uh, it's a lot of 
retweeting people who don't have like there's a new um account i just saw called puberty blockers suck i just saw that they just came on well they just came online a month ago and that well and what they say is survivors of whatever puberty blockers and something something so i like boosted them because i'm like oh this is cool um sometimes i feel like that's what i like doing the most you yeah. know is there's lots of people talking about this now look at these people right yeah, yeah. um so but yeah cut sort of covering current events and commenting um i don't know what the future is going to hold sometimes i think i'm done with this hmm. and then all of a sudden i'm like oh no i'm not done with this at all hmm. so i'm kind of a little uncertain about what the future holds but i hope that you'll put um, I referred to Diane Aaron's half Zoom session where she actually talks about that the younger people don't have the capacity to understand what they're doing, but do it anyway. Mm-hmm. I hope you'll put that link up um, in the description. You just have easily. to send just, it. You, 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 I'll have you send it to me. So that will be in the description as well as links to your Twitter yeah. and to fourth wave now blog and Corinna. Yeah. What are you up to? Well, I, I'm a co-host of a podcast with Nina Paley, and it's called Heterodorks, Heterodox Dorks. <laughs> we have just published our 78th episode. I can't wow. believe it's gone on for this long, but uh, we have a full slate of guests ahead of us, and it's, it just gets bigger every single week. And uh, my hope is pretty soon we're going to push all the way through a hundred listeners. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. it's going to be amazing. Amazing. That'll be linked in the description, but it's spelled with an R X right at the end. It is. Yeah, heterodorks with an X. Yeah. And I also have started a Substack. All the cool people who were doing it, and I thought uh, hmm. it's stale and dull now, so it's my perfect opportunity to jump in. You can find that at corinnacone.substack.com. Mm-hmm. And you're you're also on Twitter, but not as yourself, as a representative I'm, of Hedrick. That's right. I, I have commandeered the podcast's Twitter account, and now I use it to uh, stir up conversations mm. on, on the gender issue. Getting a little so gender who's... gadfly? Yeah, unfortunately, it, you know, it's it's weird that it used to be that a popular tweet for me would be like 12 likes. And now I can just accidentally swipe something on the keyboard and post it on accident. It gets like 50 retweets. It's, it's ride that wave. You got to be that influencer. You gotta, yeah, it's you gotta... it, the, the right the right time, right place in the right time. That's all that is. Yeah. Yeah, sometimes whether you want to or not, like when Mar- Marjorie Taylor Greene quote tweeted me, it jumped up to 2,000 likes in about two hours. It's like, yeah. okay, then. Oh. <laughs> oh. Uh, last question that I'm probably going to have to cut out because we don't want to talk about. Should we talk about our hater? Wait, Corinna, are you also on the hit list? She, no, the, the hater. I don't. I don't. Everybody loves do we, me, Benjamin. There's no. no do we there, want, I have no haters. We don't have. Do to. we want to give the hater though any any air? 
I just love it because they made this beautiful beach towel of me looking like Billy Bob Thornton. It was just like this beautiful thing. They they actually purchased the website domain Benjamin A. Boyce and wrote up this really long uh, introduction that totally mocks me. It's just, and it links to all of my Twitter. It links to all of my stuff. It's just yeah, that's it's great. the irony, isn't it? I mean, <laughs> it's, mine it's, reads kind of mine reads like a resume that I don't have a problem with for the most part. I know, but all the caricatures, everybody has like the eyebrows up like this the <laughs> evil eyebrows you know? am, am, am i on there are you on i there? don't know i this don't think she, i am she who shall not be named created this yeah yeah we needs we no oxygen attention. yeah yeah no oxygen star <laughs> you might corinna i wouldn't wow. I would, wouldn't be surprised well we'll we'll find out but we'll have to send it to you if if uh Please, please make sure that you get my my Jewish features in uh, in the. Uh, can in the you scowl? Can you scowl for the? They portrait? sure did that. I, I, so you, ju- I'm st- I'm too happy to scowl. Wait, oh. read back the part about Canada allowing suicide for twelve year olds again. <laughs> That'll did, do it. There was there was a bit <laughs> yeah. of yeah. <laughs> there was. I think I covered my face in horror though. So. Yeah. Yeah, I'm just trying to s- squeeze out the uh, jokes about killing 12-year-olds. Yeah, well, you know, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? Uh, yeah. you got to leaven the bread somehow. you got to lighten up the room somehow. You know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were probably, uh, you know, just in an assisted suicide camp. And that's when the Spirit of God came to them and told them, no, 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 no. No, 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 no. Or they were trans and it was the only option, right? It was the only mm. option. Either have a what a living uh, mediocrity or a dead martyr, right? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> okay, no, let's uh, wrap it up. The mask is going back on. Okay. Yeah, thank you guys both very much for this. Hopefully, nobody takes us seriously for the first twenty minutes, and then totally takes us seriously forever after more. Indeed. Um, say goodbye to the folks at home. Goodbye, folks at home. There we go.